0: So many people hate their own response to the following question. So what does your company actually do? Because in this moment, my friend, you have three options, okay? Number one, pitch, slap your prospect. Number two, fumble your way through a long-winded response. And number three, deliver a punchy elevator story that sparks intrigue. Now, if you're nodding your head at number three, but you're like, hold up, I don't even know where to begin, then... Don't worry, I've got your back. All right, head on down to www.theravirajani.com forward slash your elevator story to unlock your very own free elevator story script, template and guide. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. For Halloween this year, I'm dressing up as Jen Allen. And I'll tell you why, because there's nothing scarier than a human being who's obsessed with cold email. You know what I'm saying? Now, listen, she's the only guest who I've had on this show twice, people. And she's the only person who can troll me better than my wife, real talk. And she's one of the very few people I know who's been able to combine high-level sales strategy with a focus on the human being behind the prospect. And today, I've pinned her down to specifically teach us how to communicate the cost of inaction and unsell the status quo. The queen of lavender, Jen Allen. Welcome back, my friend. What's good?
1: I love how you like bring me down and then you lift me up and then you bring me down again. It's psychological warfare and I'm here for it, Robbie. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) You know what? I just, you, shall I tell you why you annoy me? Real talk. Shall I tell you why you annoy me? Because I know how nice you are to me behind closed doors, right? And then to the to the rest of the world, you just troll me like there's no tomorrow. And the annoying thing is, is I'm, people go, man, you're too quick. I can't handle you. But you, I I, I literally get stuck in like freeze. I don't know. I'm like, oh, how do I come back to this girl, man? This is insane.
1: You make it too easy. You just make it way too easy. But I will give you credit. You are better live at trolling me. I'm better written form trolling you. So we each have our strengths.
0: Okay. Troll on troll. Let's play a game. Troll on troll. Let's play a game. Okay. So we're going to play a game of word association. And by the way, was that your dogs in the background or were you just like?
1: That was right. not me. No,
0: it's my job. <laughs> okay. I'm, I didn't know. Are, are you angry at me? All right. So, we're going to play a game of word association. So, here's what we're going to do, right? I'm going to say a word, and you have to say the first thing that pops up into your mind. All right. No hesitation. If there's a hesitation, then there's going to be a forfeit and it's going to be ugly. You don't okay. want that. Okay. All right. Okay. Ready? Wedding. Stress. Purple. Heart. C- community
1: family I don't know why that just came out ew
0: wow, that was cringy um <laughs> I, and, and I want and I want guys, if you're listening to this right now, don't edit that piece keep it in keep it in That's keep crumb. that cringy moment community, oh my God, family
1: family <laughs> My internet family
0: <laughs> oh my God, right, final one, you gotta be really fast with this one, all right okay. Ravi Rajani.
1: Ah, Bozo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bozo is such an American movie saying, isn't it? Like, quit it, you Bozo. Oh, my God, you Bozo. Isn't that so American?
1: (laughs) Oh, I love when you do your American accent. It's my favorite.
0: Oh, Jen Allen. Jen Allen. So you and I were hanging out for... We probably spent about five hours chatting in Chicago when I was down. So ladies and gents, I was speaking at a sales kickoff in Chicago in January. And I was like, Jen and I have always said, man, we need to meet each other face to face. And for some reason, the sales kickoff was literally 15 minutes from our house. So we hung out, we kicked it. She probably told me some things that she shouldn't have, I probably oh, told no. her some things I shouldn't have. I'm not going to bring it up. <laughs> um but you're literally like the most loved person on LinkedIn, right? I think everybody sees your energy. They're like, "Man, I just love Jen Allen." So my mission is to get you canceled by the end of the show. <laughs> all right. I want it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what did I sign up for?
0: Exactly. This is like Piers Morgan's uh, uncensored. It's going to be like serious. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Let's do it.
0: Okay. No, but real talk. You know what's interesting right now, and you know this better than anybody, is that we talk about fight or flight, but buyers right now are really in freeze, aren't they? The third F. And I don't think we speak about that enough. So from your perspective, when buyers are frozen, they're stuck in freeze mode. What is the repercussions for sellers? What does it mean for them?
1: I mean, the repercussions for sellers are significant. If you think about how many sellers made amazing W-2s back in COVID time, it was by just candidly order taking, right? When we all had to shift to digital, it meant we had to change our behaviors. And in many ways, we were changing our behaviors in favor of suppliers because we needed to buy new things to be able to conduct business differently. And so I think good and bad there are a lot of sellers who said hey i'm a great salesperson because i killed my goal and i killed my quota and it's 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 amazing and then now we're stepping into this environment where it's the same product it delivers the same value but buyers are like "Mm," putting their hand out and holding us back and so i think it's a moment where we as salespeople and now i've moved to marketing and i really have to remember that but as a former 18-year salesperson (laughs) We have to make a decision around Am I going to keep trying to do the same things that worked really well in a different environment? Or am I going to stop, watch, observe, listen, and recognize that a lot of what I say and do in a sales conversation, in an email, in a demo, in all of these little moments has to change because the buyer has changed. So I think it's one of these big, big moments of reckoning and an opportunity for us as salespeople to really look in the mirror and say, Am I going to keep fighting it or am I going to go with it?
0: Let's take it to your wedding, right? Because you're getting married soon and you've got a wedding planner, right? Now I know when I was in the run up to the wedding, it was so much of it was like an emotional purchase. But a lot of the time you think not how great will it look to have this flower on this table. It's what will life look like if I don't have that flower on the table or if this person doesn't have this. So for you, has there been any purchases that you've made in the run-up to your wedding, which have been driven from not, okay, the return on that investment, but damn, I I don't want to live with regret if I don't buy this thing.
1: I mean, there's so many. I'll tell you one that I actually almost made and then I had to check myself because you're right. This is such an opportune example. So, you know, I'm not the best at event planning or throwing parties. Like I love going to really? parties. Not, yeah, no, I'm not detail oriented when it comes to that stuff. But my fiance is, he's really, really good at it. So he's been driving a lot of the decision-making and then he'll send me a text like, Jen, do you think we should do this or this? And then I do the like final answer, right? So I told him, I was like, oh, you know what we need under our plates or chargers, you know, like the bigger plate that sits under a plate. Because in my mind, that equates to fancy. So he goes, okay, I'll talk to the florist and see how much it costs. He sends me a text back. He's like, it's $1,500 for chargers. And I, was, I wrote back, okay, because I was on a call. And then I had this absolute freak out where I was like, nobody, nobody at this wedding is going to notice if there are plates under our plates. What am I doing? But I was just so in that mode of just say, okay. And then I realized $1,500 for a plate is absolutely out of my mind. Right. So it's one of those things where it's so easy in a wedding to just keep going. Yes, 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 yes. But I caught myself, thankfully, because no one's going to notice the damn charger
0: at all. But if you don't do it, the question is, would you regret it? Do you think you would genuinely?
1: I think I will look at that plate and think this will look better with the charger. But I think I will feel good sleeping at night knowing that I didn't spend $1,500
0: on it. So in the run-up to my wedding. So it was October 2021, right? And I was like, I'm going to get in the shape of my life, Jen. So here's what I did, right? I spoke to a buddy who I used to work with and he hired this personal trainer and he, he was looking jacked. He was looking radiant. I was like, dude, are you pregnant? You're glowing, right? And he was like, okay, dude, this is my secret. It's this guy. So he said, give him a call. I guarantee he'll want to talk to you and talk to you about your goals for getting fit, you know, and all this stuff. So I hop on a call with him. And he's like, where do you think you are You know, if we looked at your current physique from just purely aesthetic, where do you think you are? And my level of hubris and just overconfidence was, I'm I'm that guy right there. And he was like, ripped, jacked, kind (sighs) of, right? But like, not too much. And then he was like, okay. And I'm pretty sure the picture of me, which I sent him once we ended up working together, compared to that, it was so far off. Or maybe I sent him a picture beforehand and he was like, okay, let's have a look. And he he pinned the two up together and it was so far off. And I was like, wow, smack in the face. And then I was like, okay, the why behind this is, yeah, lifestyle and whatnot, but I've got a big event coming up, you know what I'm saying? And ultimately, he didn't say, here's what life is going to look like on your wedding day when you feel incredible when you can fit perfectly into your suit xyz he basically was like look man you don't want to look back at those pictures and be like shoulda woulda coulda right let's do this so eventually i did partner with him and it's funny i think it's kind of a similar state for buyers today which is why i was bringing up this conversation around weddings because the cost of doing nothing and the regret around that could be quite big for some people you know what do you think
1: This is a perfect example because you and I had two totally different experiences because you brought someone external into yours. So my experience has been for the last six months, I have been setting my alarm at 5 a.m. every morning so that I could go to the gym. And I have gone to the gym maybe three times in one week when I was like really feeling it. And that's it. And what I think is the lesson in here for sellers is I have a compelling event. Right? Like, my wedding is going to be paid a lot for a photographer. I obviously want to look beautiful. And so every morning I'm like, hey, let me set that alarm. But then every morning, sleeping an extra hour sounds so much better to me. And so I think a lot of times as sellers, what we fall into the trap of is saying, okay, the prospect has shared this compelling event. So clearly they're going to be motivated to change. When in reality, if you look at my situation, it turns out like I'm okay with good enough. Good enough is exactly how I look right now, it's not my best it's not how i envision looking on my wedding day but i'm actually okay with it. and so because you had someone else confronting you with that, it interrupted the process and that in my mind is the role of the seller. me on my own, i'm out here saying like good enough's fine, it's okay when it's really not. and if i had engaged someone like you did, maybe my outcome would have been different. and that's i think how we as sellers need to think about our role right now is we've got to interrupt these bad decisions we as humans make all the time and be a little bit less focused on what happens if you do change and more, as you described, on what happens if you don't.
0: Well, actually, I'm going to flip that for a second because I don't know if what you've made in terms of a decision, would you classify that as bad? Because if we actually take a look at it, what you've just said is, is actually, Rav, that's not something I personally value. Like, health, et cetera, you value. Yeah, I know, but in terms of all the priorities that you have for the big day, you've basically said, this is something that is important, but it's not at the top of the list. So you acted in accordance with your values. So actually, is it a bad thing? I'll disagree with you here because
1: I'm acting in accordance with my laziness when it comes to my physical fitness. That's, that's who I'm acting with. I know for a fact, I'm going to look back on these pictures and I'm going to look at my arms and say, I just wish my arms were like a little more toned. I know I will. And I'm not, this is not about body image or anything like that, but I'm saying like one of the things that buyers and humans fall into all the time is regret, right? Like after the event, then we look back and say, why didn't I do this differently? Well, in the moment, it's because we're rationalizing what's easy, what's safe, what's less painful. And so I think that's exactly how I'm going to show up afterwards and say like, oh, I wish even if a month earlier, I would have started on that. And so that's where I think it gets into this issue of like a seller's responsibility to kind of hold up the mirror to buyers sometime and say, I know this feels good enough. And I know all of the fears of risk and change that you have in your, all the what ifs in your mind, but I'm here to help you realize that those pains are going to present themselves at some point and you have a choice right now. And I'm going to help you make that better decision for you. Not for me, not for my quota, but for you, right? (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, it's you know coming up for me though. Okay. So say if you and I are on a call, okay. And I'm trying to sell you something and I hold up a mirror within the first two minutes and I'm like, yo, look, okay, here's everything that's not right right now. You'd be like, okay, homeboy, I don't know you that well. I've met you for two minutes. See you later. Deuces. So it's quite interesting. Do you think that there's, what, what does somebody have to do to earn the opportunity to show up the mirror without being rapport breaking so there's
1: two things one is tonality how we say it right if some complete stranger walks up to me on the street and goes you're not fit enough for your wedding i would backhand them right but <laughs> if somebody who i know had worked with other brides walked up to me and said hey one of the most common things i hear from brides after the event is that they would look back on their you know pre-wedding plan up and say, I wish I would have started doing a few things a little bit differently, right? So I think when we deflect it and not make it about me, the person, but say others in your situation often look back and say, in hindsight, I wish I would have done this, this, and this, that I think allows it to be a bit of a safer tonality. So I'm not attacking the person who I don't know very well, but I'm speaking from experience. And I think that to me, I, you know, everybody's a little bit different, but I will always hear out someone who has experience with others in my situation. It's why I hired a wedding planner, right? Like, could I have planned this wedding? Sure. Would I have done it as as good as someone else that does this for a living? Absolutely not. But I think to your point, we can't attack the person because then we just get into this offense defense dynamic where I'm just trying to prove you wrong instead of hearing you or listening to you at
0: all. Mm. And because you didn't get invited to many parties as a kid for you, this is a new experience. (laughs) (laughs) You set See? me up.
1: You're better Please. at trolling me, I why. I
0: know, I know. And that was a pattern interrupt because you thought I was going to hit you with some sales jargon, but no, I cut you with a knife. All you right, just cut okay, me down. just cut you down. All right, back to the show. So yeah, but so so it sounds though like from what you're saying, it's about if somebody has the expertise to solve the problem that you want solved, you're open to hearing them, and if their tonality is one of not preaching but one of educating using storytelling you're open to hearing it is that sound fair
1: i think that's totally fair and empathy right so if you say gosh you know when i talk to brides one of the most difficult things is in the six months leading up to the wedding it feels like there's something to do every single day and there's always a important thing and there's always a concern like i don't need to know i've been working with brides for 17 years so not like that matter of expertise but demonstrating the expertise in the way that you share empathy and say i understand how hard it is if you're you know a full-time working mother to try to fit this into your schedule like then i'm leaning in right because then i'm like oh this person seems to understand my circumstance i'll be more open versus someone who's like i've worked with brides for 17 years in my mind i'm thinking but have you worked with someone with four stepkids and three dogs and a freaking ferret and like have you worked with someone who's just started a new job like I'm all these things are in my head where I'm trying to to tell myself th- what this person is saying isn't relevant to me. And so I think it's like it's this really cool thing I've I've started to observe now whenever I've worked with with vendors in my personal life is people who will take the time to hear what makes you different and then incorporate that into the way that they talk about whatever they're selling. I think really does make a complete difference because it just prevents the objection instead of trying to overcome it later.
0: Who do you see who does this really well? Like, have you been on the receiving end of it? Have you personally done it? Like, who do you see who does this well?
1: I mean, our contractor does this phenomenally well. Like, this is in our personal life, but this is someone who, again, I actually have no idea how many years he's been a contractor. I have no, no idea how many jobs he's done. But what I do know is that when he shows up in our house to fix something, he has a really subtle way of saying like, Hey, I've noticed this and this. And as a result, have you ever thought about doing this? And he makes it a question. He's not coming in saying you need to replace all your windows, but he'll say, and he actually did this, we paid a buttload to replace all our windows. He'll say, have you ever noticed that when you walk upstairs in the winter, it feels like 10, 15 degrees cooler up here? right? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we have. And he's like, have you ever considered that it might be the fact that the original windows in the house are letting all this cold air in? And it's really subtle, but the way he's doing it, he's making it our decision. He's not telling us you need to replace your windows because they're 60 years old. He's letting us arrive at that conclusion. And as a result, this guy has made so much money off of us and we love him because he gets us and he lets us kind of take the lead
0: on it. Let's get him on the show. That's very cool. I like how you frame that as well. And here's what's really interesting is because he was pointing out blind spots, you loved him because he's actually at that's what adding value really is, right? So he's educating you on the blind spots. It's very cool.
1: Exactly. He's not like, oh, there's a discount on windows this week when I'd be like, the last thing I want to do is pay for windows. He's helping me realize why I should value windows
0: and what that's costing elsewhere like that and he started with a question or two so if you had to break this down into a framework of if if a seller's thinking okay cool how do i do that though on my next call if you could walk through when is the most when is the optimal time to share a cost of inaction story and then when you do share it is there a framework you think they should walk through or a few steps
1: yes personally for me i think the optimal time is when you do your initial outreach so, right really? I mean that. Oh yeah, big time. Because mm. to me it's a reason to take a call. Right? So if we compare two motions, one motion would be I'm going to reach out to someone and I'm going to say, you know, I'm Jen, here's the company I work for, here's all the amazing things we do, here's all the clients we have and here's the ROI and here's why you should work with us. That buyer is going to read that email and say this is the 15th email I got like this today. Everybody's an expert. Everybody's great at what they do. Everybody gives an ROI. Delete. The alternative is if I get an email, and this has happened, if I get an email and someone makes an observation about something that's happening in our business. So when we talk tactics and framework, start with observation about their business, not introduction to our business. So this might sound like I'll give an example from when I was selling. John, your CEO, spoke about the recent acquisition you made of ABC Company. Beth, your CFO, Spoke about the need to increase cross sell and upsell in order to hit your revenue targets this year. Then, those are two observations, right? Then, question, which is confronting conventional wisdom is curious, have you ever considered the amount of time it takes sellers to sell a new bag of services? Then, close, being not commission breathy, not desperate. Would be happy to share how we've seen others shorten that timeline. Either way, congrats on the acquisition. Looks like a great fit. So what I'm trying to do there is I'm trying to say, I'm not trying to impress you with my business and all the great things about us. I'm trying to show you that I've done the work to come up with a hypothesis around something that might be a challenge in yours. And I'm asking a smart question in my outreach that you are either going to attach to or you're not, right? And then I'm making it very easy to feel like I'm not going to get on the phone with this person and they're going to show up offline like a complete hungry, you know, salesperson. So it's like the tonality of the whole thing. I want it to feel like a peer. I don't want it to feel like a vendor vibe. So I'll shut up, but that's kind of the framework that I use.
0: Cut! pause or whatever we need to say for me to get your attention. Because before we get back to the show, I have some breaking news. Okay, listen, ladies and gents, feature selling is dead. And story selling is alive. Because if you really want to build trust, stand out and close more deals in a recession, then you need to try something new so you can drive your company to a world of efficiency and profitability. And that's exactly why I've opened up many slots this year for different companies to partner with me for implementing my story selling framework inside of their sales process. Now, the outcomes are all the good stuff. I'm talking about increasing average order value, collapsing time inside of your sales cycle and driving win rates. But more importantly, transforming your team to sell in a way that really focuses on human connection. And hey, that's what I'm all about. So if you're nodding your head right now, then head on down to www.com theravirajani.com forward slash contact to book your complimentary discovery call to see if there's alignment. And hey, if there is, great. And if there's not, that's cool too. I'll see you on the other side. That is gold. So I've written down some notes here. So it sounds as though there are three steps. Observation, question, close. So for those listening, what Jen spoke about there was a really acute observation on something which shows that she's done her research, a question which confronts the conventional wisdom or the status quo, and then a close, which pivots to not buy this now, but meets them with where they're at today and elicits a response and then ending with, Hey, if it doesn't make sense, cool. That's great. That's cool too. So oh, that's, that's really, really impactful for people. And I suppose, if okay, but mm, 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 okay. Now I'm thinking actually. So hold on. So if somebody's doing this over email versus in person, in person, you mentioned the tone of how somebody would deliver something like that. Is there any language that somebody can put inside of an email to ensure that it's not read aggressively by the prospect?
1: Yeah, I think this is where it comes back to empathy, right? And and one of the reasons like all kidding aside that I do enjoy spending time with you so much is because the storytelling aspect of this matters tremendously, right? So like in my mind the email is meant to be brief, clear, and thoughtful. And I would rather sacrifice more words to make sure that someone doesn't interpret it the wrong way because i can always send a second email because i want it to be brief so that it gets read but let's say i send that email and then i make a cold call after it right now is when i think i can really bring more of that to life and say you know i was working with a company last year who you know sold a bunch of physical products and they made this acquisition of a services bag and their sellers really struggled and their leadership looked back and said we wasted nine months Trying to give people product information to sell this new service, only to realize it wasn't about a lack of product information. It was about this other thing. Right. And so I think you can, again, when you attack a person, when you're like, you're wrong, you're going to fail, we get our defenses up. When you point it somewhere else and say, you're not the first person to be in this, it's okay that this feels hard. I think that level of storytelling around the problem as opposed to storytelling the solution make it feel safer for someone to say, "Okay, yeah, I am having a bit of a hard time with this." So, I would say definitely when you're cold calling or having that physical conversation, come with a story that makes it safe for that prospect to say, "I'm struggling."
0: That was very, very good. So the story that you shared, you thought I was going to make fun of you, there, I did. didn't you? I was f- like, was- no, <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm, I'm just, sh- I'm just shocked. It was that good. No, I'm missing. <laughs> it was, it was really good. So. Okay. I'm trying to break it down. So, so actually you're sharing a customer success story, which elicits the emotion of FOMO in an ethical and authentic way, which positions the feeling, well, actually the fear of missing out is real. And if I don't take action like X, Y, Z, then this is what it could result in, which is, which is super powerful. And I think what I really liked about what you mentioned there as well is it's just your tone. Your t- I would love to hear like Jen Allen angry. Like I, I want to speak to Nick. <laughs> <laughs> like I want to speak to Nick because I cannot imagine your tone being anything other than the calm app worthy Jen Allen.
1: I mean, watch him just kick this door
0: down and be like,
1: well, let me <laughs> tell <him> you. <laughs>
0: I can't imagine it. I actually can't imagine it. I get
1: I get angry. Don't worry, I get angry, but I think I I just like I have a lot of empathy for buyers. Like I I can't imagine what it's like to constantly be hit all day long with like, you're not doing this good and you're bad, you're wrong. And you should do like, that's gotta be so annoying. And so for me, I think yeah. tone is a differentiator.
0: Yeah. I have empathy for Nick, but yeah. The... <gasps> as, <you should. laughs> as I should. No, but I'm, I'm with you because you know what is funny. If you look on LinkedIn, you look at a ton of posts, they're like, this is what you're doing wrong. This is. And actually if I wanted to move somebody to take action, berating them, I don't know. It's just not my style personally. I don't know if it's anyone's style. I don't know if anyone really likes
1: yes. it. Okay. So I'm so glad you said that. And one of the things that no one has picked up on yet that I do a lot and I'll share it because I think it's like an easy thing to rip off yeah. is if you are going to say something negative, use inclusive language. So if you, if you notice in my posts, if I'm going to say something that a seller does wrong, I'll say, we often do this. Instead of you often fail to do this because it's like that thing. Can't you just feel the finger point when someone does that? It's like you suck. Yeah. Like, first of all, you don't even know me. You're some Instagram or LinkedIn creator, right? Like that's, that's what I would expect. So I use we, us language like that, that shows that I'm not, pointing the finger. I I see that problem. I experience that problem too.
0: Yeah. I really love that. You do do that. Actually. You, you never, you'll never say you do this. You, you would say something such as we often find ourselves in situations where, and it's that you pointing finger to we, which is so powerful. I don't know what you think about this, but if I'm trying to move somebody to action, to think about something, validating them with something positive that they do and then talking about the thing that's constructive often goes down so well because you're making somebody feel seen for that very specific thing that they do great and then really thinking about that constructive piece. What do you think about that?
1: Like like it's the same thing again we tend to draw this divide around this is what I do in sales and this is what I do in my personal life. What you just said is exactly how we would treat a friend with a problem. If a friend came to us and said if got this big issue, we wouldn't be like, boy, you really screwed up on that one, right? Like we would look to lift them up a little bit so they feel safer having the conversation, knowing that we're not gonna just break them down. But I think it's important that we know where to b- to balance that line, right? Like I've certainly as a seller gone way too far and trying to be like, let me lift you all the way up here. And then it creates this false sense of things are fine. So I think it's really important just to test those boundaries around validating someone, being positive, but then also telling them a little bit what they need to hear as long as we're doing it empathetically.
0: That's such a good point. Say if you've got a people pleaser who's a friend, you wouldn't start by saying you're a chronic people pleaser and you need to change it. You'd be like, look, I, lo- I love the fact that you're so giving and you just want to constantly give so much of you to so many people, but here's the thing, right? And then you would really take a look at that piece, which is preventing them from achieving whatever it is or sucking energy out of them. So I'm with you. Isn't it funny how, I don't know if you feel this way, but recently I'm like, sometimes all of these strategies and tactics and frameworks, just actually, if you look at it, if you do inner work on yourself and you work towards being some kind of a good person, which includes being a great listener, you're gonna be, I genuinely believe, a good salesperson because you know how to have a conversation and it shouldn't really change when you're in the context of a sales conversation. What do you think?
1: I could not agree more. Like, I think way too many people get sucked into this idea of to be a great salesperson, I have to be really great at convincing. And it's like nobody in any part of our lives likes to be convinced. We like to be heard. We like to be understood. We like to be helped. And that's all part of what you just described. Like if your focus as a salesperson is how do I get to be a better negotiator? How do I get to be better at convincing? Like I think you've missed the
0: memo. Who's the best conversationalist as a result? They become such a great salesperson in your eyes that you've met who's not a seller. Like by title,
1: actually have a perfect answer for this. Will Allred, my boss, is the best salesperson I have probably ever met. Who's not? He's a, he's a founder. He's yeah. not a salesperson. And I'll tell you how I know this. So when I quit Challenger, my intention was to never go back to full time work. I was just going to try to make a living off of doing you know speaking engagements and things like that. And I didn't need, like I'm in a good financial position, which I've worked my whole life to be in. Right. So I didn't need a full-time job. And he called me and said, Hey, I want to talk to you about a position here at Challenger. And I was like, or not Challenger at Lavender. And I was like, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Like happy to always advocate for you guys. Cause I love this business, but like, I'm not looking to go back to full-time in two conversations. He had me say yes to a job and it wasn't because he pushed me. It wasn't because he sold like Lavender, the business or the job responsibilities. It was because the way he spoke, the way he listened to me, the way he engaged, the way he was able to like figure me out so quickly made me feel like, wow, the experience of working for this person is going to be unbelievably awesome. And I'm going to miss out if I don't get to learn from this brilliant person. And so I said yes to a job that I've never done, that totally freaked me out, that was candidly less money than I was making in my previous job because of how much I value the experience of those conversations. Like if that's not a great salesperson, I don't know what is like that. He completely wowed me. And it's not just he did this with a lot of people
0: he brought on the team. That is incredible. And When you told me that story as well, I was like, "What? That is a masterclass." And you know what's funny? Does he know what he's doing, or is it innate?
1: I think it's innate. Yeah, I don't. I don't know yeah. what he would answer. How he would answer that question? But to me, it's innate, and it's just so very real and human. Like he's not this like you know like finger guns like guy. Like he's the he's antithesis of that. This to that, and that's part of the draw <laughs> for me. it, it was wild.
0: i I remember i was at university and uh i was selling these tickets for this charity show that my friends and i were putting on and i was outside the library like like literally like a foghorn just like hey come over here i got something to sell you like whatever and this guy who i used to live on the same corridor with comes up to me he's like man you know you're a you're a good talker, dude. You should, you should work in the sales. So, you know, what I started to believe Jen that sales was about being a smooth talker and that was it. And that, that is so wrong. And I think it's the worst thing that somebody can hear. You're a great talker. You should be in sales.
1: Oh, agreed. Cause those are the people that you get on the phone with them and their talk ratio is like 90% them, 10% you, and your 10% is like, can I say something? Can I actually explain what's really going on here? It's gross. That's one of the things when I'm not trolling you that I really enjoy about you is I think, you know, the signal of a great listener when they, when you're having a conversation with someone, and I've done this a lot with you, where you, it's so obvious how good of a listener that they are, that you start to reflect inward and say, am I showing up like this in our conversation? Am I talking too much? And that's something that it's one of my, one of the things that draws me to you is. I always feel like that. Like it's a competition of, okay, you always want to pull for me and talk, like have me talk about me. And then I feel compelled to say, oh, am I giving enough back? Like that to me is a sign of a phenomenal listener.
0: Oh, thank you, my friend. I acknowledge that I received that compliment with open arms because you, you do acknowledge me for that a lot. And it does mean a lot. And I think that's the, the greatest gift that a friend can give another friend like you and I have become friends over the past year since actually not even year right <laughs> like how long is it when did we first connect
1: I mean you were on the pod May. in
0: May was it no yeah May
1: oh that's when we recorded yeah you're right you're right I forgot you wrote it on your diary right like it was
0: yes, like a big part around it Yes. When I first, when you first DM'd me about coming on your show, I was like, oh. First of all, you you DM'd me. me. Let's get it straight. Let's get it straight. Oh oh my God. I Literally, I'm going to pull it out right now. Right. Ready? It says, oh my God, you are the Ravi Rajani. (laughs) I can't believe I have the opportunity to talk to you. Storytelling. Oh my God, you're the king oh my God, will you come on and talk to us about it? We offer payment for guests like yourself. And I was like, listen, I'm, I'm not really that guy. Like I do charity work once a month. I'm down, that's cool, I'll kick it with you. You're
1: ridiculous.
0: Agreed, agreed. No, I did I did voice note you, I hate to say it. I voice noted you and then uh, yeah, the, the friendship and the trolling began. Yeah. But listen, my friend, I always love kicking it with you. I feel like sometimes we should have our own show. I genuinely feel like we should have our own show. Agreed. What do we call it?
1: Is anybody listening? <laughs> People feel like I'm sick of hearing <laughs> you. We're funny, other.
0: Five downloads in the first month. Is anybody listening? <laughs> By new Jen new Allen.
1: Nick, Sophie. That's it. Maybe one of our two.
0: And Amy Volas. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. Um, So listen, my friend, I always, I always like to end with understanding who you look up to as an influential communicator, because I want to get that person on the show. Right. So is there somebody that you're looking at right now, besides Will, who you've already mentioned, but anybody you're looking at in our space, you're like, ah, you are just dope.
1: Oh, you know what? Hold on. Give me one second to answer this because I'm going to tell you exactly. I just want to pronounce her last name correctly. Ooh. Tara
0: Horstmeyer. Oh yeah, she's coming on soon. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
1: love the way she communicates. I think she's phenomenal. So I follow her on LinkedIn and I just constantly see her showing up in a way that's supportive, but still genuine. And her writing yeah. style, I think is phenomenal. I just, I'm always sucked into her posts. I'm a huge fan of hers.
0: Love her ability to show up with heart but also not in a, it's not forced, right? I think, I think that's what you mean. It's not forced. Yeah. That's an art. That's an art. Yeah. We're definitely going to get her on the show in about a month's time. So yeah, she's dope. So listen, Jim, where can people go to learn more about Lavender?
1: Yes. So lavender.ai, I will plug that if you're a job seeker right now, which unfortunately many people are, we make Lavender, which is an AI email writing coach. Uh, free for anybody who's a job seeker or a student or a solo founder. So if that's if you're any of those three, go lavender.ai, install it, and then send an email to team at lavenderai. We will get you set up for free until you find your next job. Um everybody else, it's you can try it for free for seven days.
0: There you go, ladies and gents. The link is in the show notes. And Jen, right, listen, I'm gonna say something nice. If it's too nice, I'll probably even edit I'll even edit it, but you are honestly one of the people who I follow, not just because of the expertise, but you are my friend from what I've seen, a good human being. And that's why I just love hanging around with you and your energy. And you you are, you, you're one of the good ones, my friend. You're one of the good ones.
1: Right back at you. You know, that feeling is oh, so mutual. We only dig on the ones we love. That's
0: what they say. That's what they say. Ladies and gents, I'll see you next week for another episode of the show. But hold up, actually, Before you go, hit me up with a review, man. Listen, I need them reviews because we really want to get this show into the hands of as many salespeople as possible. So do hit us with a review if you enjoyed the episode. And I'll see you on the other side next week, same time, same place. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the influential communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice because i tell you what my friend my big mission is to help b2b sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value so hey The more the word gets out about this podcast, the more people we can gather on this mission. So if you could support me, then hey, that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, i got love for you, all right? I'll see you on the other side.